0: I I just refuse to sit under a false reality overlay, my friend. And people look at me like, oh, this guy, this guy's really nuts. Except for the people that came out of this world. And they're like, this is the only guy that can help me because he gets it. I'm like, you know, I'll do that. I'll I'll be crazy for Jesus. I'll go off on a limb and, and just embrace the truth on the most ridiculous things. If it leads to someone's deliverance, salvation and inner healing, I'll pay the price.
1: Welcome to the Word Christian Podcast, I am your host Samuel Delgado and this is episode 17. I interviewed Dan Duvall, it was such an honor to have him on the show. Daniel Duvall is the Executive Director of Bride Ministries and is also the Senior Pastor of Bride Ministries Church. He is the author of six books, host of the Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall podcast, the creator of Bride Ministries Institute, and the creator of Bride Ministries DID or Dissociative Identity Disorder Coach Mentorship Program. He speaks both nationally and internationally on a wide variety of subjects, but is known for his expertise in the areas of inner healing and deliverance. We focus this episode on his book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and The Spirit Realm. We get into dimensions, portals, hollow earth, and so much more. So with no further ado, let's get weird. I was born
0: into a Christian household, so I was basically exposed to jesus the concept of christianity from the beginning of my life in fact i received jesus when i was three i I just went to my mom and i was like i'm ready to receive him as my lord and savior because it was already in me to to be a christian and i was like yeah i i want that so um that was when i first said like the, the sinner's prayer so to speak my mom actually led me in that And that began a journey. Uh, And it's a journey because, you know, you receive Jesus that young. By no means have you been through life. You haven't made many decisions of your own. And so my testimony um, goes through a journey of, you know, backsliding and then coming back to God. And and, and and as I grew up, one of the major conflicts that I had in my life was the spiritual harassment that I couldn't escape. I was like, you know, the kid in years ago, a movie came out called The Sixth Sense where the kid was like, I see wow. dead people. Yeah. yeah, well, that was like my life. I remember I was looking at that movie. I was just like, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of close to home because I would see the stuff just walking around like with my eyes wide open, physically wow. seeing spirits yeah. and it was tormenting. I I mean, and I saw spirits that looked like all kinds of stuff. I said this book when I was little, it was like the story of Noah and the ark. Well, interestingly enough, one of the demons that I saw when I was really young took the form of the Noah portrayal in that kid's book, um, you know. Hmm isn't it interesting that the first book that I write is called Noah's Ark in the end of days, right? But (laughs) there I am, like this little kid, you know, where this like Noah figure just comes in my room walking. I mean, uh, it changes the atmosphere. Um, There's so much fear, I can't speak. Um, And I I just ran out of my room. I mean, I learned early on, because when things like this would happen, and you know, I, I saw different kinds of spirits, things that looked like a witch or, you know, um, some of them were quite silly. Frankly, there, there was a, a hardware store called Handy Andy back in the day, they, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but they had like their own little mascot guy. And and one day I woke up and that guy was standing in my bedroom. I mean, it's just like cr- just crazy stuff. Hmm. I, I um, would, you know, just run to my mom. I mean, I didn't know what else to do and she didn't know what to do. So she would just pray to Jesus and eventually the apparition would be gone. So I learned early on, I don't know what's going on or why this stuff keeps showing up and harassing me but what I do know is that the name of Jesus has power. So that was a seed in me early on. I always knew that Jesus was God. I always knew that he had power, his name had power. Um, I just didn't know why I would get harassed like that. And, you know, there wasn't much out there. I was born in 1985. You know, I'm going through this stuff in the late 80s into the 90s. Most Christian ministries were not talking about how to help your children who wake up and see demons with their eyes wide open. Like that's just not the ministry to people, you know? So um, my mom tried to, you know, find help and look into different things. But it, it was not much out there. Pastors were pretty unhelpful. Yeah. So he, he, as I got older, I remember I, I, I had a really cool experience where I went to a youth camp in, in, in middle school. And I had an encounter with God. I mean, it was like, first love. Wow. God's amazing. I really want to go after this. I was in middle school. I "I really want to go after this. I I, I love the feeling of his presence and the spirit. I came home super excited. That night, there was a transition in the kind of attacks that I would go through, where it went from seeing the spirits physically to um, being physically attacked by the spirits. And uh, I went to bed that night. I heard chimes, they were spiritual chimes. Um, And this demonic entity walked through a gate portal. Walked around my bed and jumped on me while I was in sleep. So it was like a state of sleep paralysis. But yeah. this entity wrestled with me for probably—I mean, I don't know how long it was. It felt like hours. Yeah. Um, this thing beat me up so bad, like my soul felt completely trashed. Like my physical body—I didn't have bruises but my soul felt like I just took the beat down of a lifetime. I mean, I was wiped the next day, like all day. It was just terrible. And I was just like, gosh, if this is what it means for me to decide I'm gonna be excited about Jesus, I'll just sit on the outer court. Like I'm, I'm gonna sit back and, and just show up in church like I've been doing because this, I don't know about this. I don't have any tools. I don't have any resources for this. This, this is terrible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I wish it was that simple that, you know, you just back up, keep your arm's length distance from God and they leave you alone. But that's not the way it works. So over the years, mm-hmm. the attacks of this nature became more and more often. And, 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 and by the time I hit my senior year of high school, it was almost every night. I, I actually would be like in a dream. I would sense something calm, you know, the sleep paralysis which set in, it would jump on me, be like a wrestle. I'd have to wake myself up out of my sleep, rebuke it in the name of Jesus, but it never stopped happening. It was like, okay, it would yeah. leave for the night and then go to bed the next night, it happened again, you know? So yeah. so I actually was able to develop a technique that I could be in deep REM sleep and wake myself up at any time from any state of, it's, it was a weird skill um, that, over time I just learned how to do that because this is going on and it's like gosh you know but I'm going to church and you know I pray before I go to bed it doesn't work you know it's like that's not how you deal with this stuff yeah I didn't know what the right answer was so um I I did hit another like man I'm, I'm excited about Jesus again in in high school but after I hit about midpoint during the year of my senior year it just it just all fizzled off went to college just backslid I'm just like I'm I'm going down the the slide and so I went you know started drinking partying you know messing around uh, got in a really bad relationship my sophomore year and you know of course we're fornicating and doing all that stuff so that that all took place, and you know, the spiritual attacks never stopped. But they they weren't as bad over time. But it was it was still there. I mean, and and it would be random stuff, crazy stuff. I, there was one night, you know, I got drunk. I mean, I got this was my freshman year in college. I got drunk, and I knew that. I just had this massive open door because I was just like wasted. And so yeah. uh, I woke up the, the you know the next morning, hung over. My roommate had left and I was just in the room, kind of like in that, you know, hungover state, and I was like laying down on my bed and and I like started to fall asleep, but it was not that it was like that twilight sleep where you're not really asleep. And I, this is exactly what happened. My TV turned a white noise. It, it was just shh. Yeah. And And being off. Huh?
1: Was it off when it turned to white noise? No, it was, it was on. It just all of a sudden. It went white noise. Okay. And and this is like
0: a a scene out of the ring. I, and, and, you know, I, I, I don't watch movies like that now, but, but yeah, like a spirit actually came out of the white noise TV and I'm in this like paralysis state between sleeping and waking. And I was just like, I have, Nothing right now. <laughs> All of my armor has gone. I got wasted last night. I don't have any energy. I'm hungover, And now the spirit's crawling out of my television. I'm in a state of sleep paralysis. I'm about to get hammered and there's nothing I can do. So this, this spirit comes out of the TV. It just kind of flashes around the room. It's not like, it doesn't move. It actually just like blip, blip, blip. It was so crazy. And I'm just like, oh, here we go. And of course, it was the same thing. Jump on me, uh, getting beat up. And, you know, eventually, I was able to wake myself up out of the whole thing. Call on the name of Jesus. Thank God, He's full of mercy and grace. So it still left because I was calling on the name of Jesus. But you know, when I finally got out of it, TV's on the normal channel. Everything's normal, right? And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but this is the kind of stuff, you know. And um, I got to my junior year of college. And, um, I just hit a point. I hit a point. I I went home for winter break. Uh, my, the relationship I was in had hit a real big pit. Um, I was not satisfied with, you know, just where I was spiritually. And I had a, a come to Jesus moment while I was in, um, in my parents' house at uh, that winter break. And then I said, you know what? I'm gonna make a change. And so I broke up with that girlfriend that I had. I decided, you know, I'm gonna go back to church and I'm gonna really give this thing a real try. And that was really the beginning of the journey that I've been on since, you know, I'm 35 now. That happened when I was 20. So for 15 years, it's been, straight line neither right or left and it all began there and 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 it was at that time that i chose god like for real this is where i'm going to stake my claim on life i'm choosing jesus and 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 at that time it it began as as a journey of okay um Working through all the reasons why I didn't want to fully commit to finally getting to that full commitment place, which actually took a couple of months. It was like, I'm going to go back to church, but then it's like, all right, February, March before I'm like, I'm fully committed. And in, in, in that, those, those months that followed God restored my gift of tongues. As I began to spend time in his word and, and time in worship, he opened up the realm of visions to me. So I began to experience visions in my waking hours uh, during prayer time, out of those visions, I began to understand the call of God on my life. I have you know, journals from that season and it, it was just like, wow, God really has something that he wants me to do. This is big. In fact, this is pretty epic. I don't even understand the full context of this. Um, I started devouring every kind of book I could get. I started doing a deep dive into what the heck happened to me and why was I you know, like harassed this way? I started to try to understand spiritual warfare, the mechanics of the spirit. um, And I, you know, inadvertently joined a very conservative church that didn't even believe in tongues. So that was uh, great until it hit the fan and I got kicked out because I was too radical, which, you know, happened. So I, um, yeah, I went to Bible school and out of that, uh, I grew a lot ended up writing my first book and the rest is history. I mean, eventually launched Bride Ministries and we've been going after, going after the glory. But in the process, we have uh, learned a, a, a very, very effective method of doing deliverance that doesn't just work for the average believer. We're setting captives free that have been through satanic ritual abuse that are Illuminati defectors that come from high levels of the occult that were programmed by the CIA and MI6 and um some of these other organizations uh we're 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 dealing with top level demons we are winning the battle in the name of jesus and it's very exciting you know so god has more than redeemed what i've been through and it's nice to be on the other side and training others to kick the devil in the teeth
1: wow um that's awesome that really gives a lot of background to to your ministry now because i knew you did uh, you had a high emphasis on deliverance um i know you, I've heard your podcast on satanic ritual abuse, um, uh, Nephilim mothers. And so, you know, I always kind of had that question of how did you get into, you know, this type of ministry? Um, so I have questions about, about your personal story. Um, I've heard, um, you know, like psychics say things like the same thing you were saying that I was a small child and I didn't realize that other people didn't see these entities and in, in, in ghosts and spirits um, in, until I was older. And they were just kind of kept, kept their mouth shut about it. They didn't know what to do about it. Some say that, Oh, turns out my, my, my mother and my grandmother, they saw the same thing. So you see some somewhat generational, um, but your story, you said you come from a Christian home. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, why is it you think that for whatever reason you, totally. your eyes were open to the spiritual um at that young age totally generational
0: absolutely you know it's one of the biggest misconceptions in christianity that a salvation event breaks the generational curses and uh undoes the generational iniquity it does not uh and so what happens is yeah you you may come to jesus your your parents may have chosen jesus as their lord and savior but there's a lot of cleanup to do. And if that cleanup isn't done, the children inherit the problems the parents didn't resolve. And you know, on my mom's side, you know, she's Puerto Rican, so they did Espiritimo. Um, they, they would have, you know, sessions where they put on like salsa music and they do the trans mediumship and they channel stuff and Ouija board and all of this on my dad's side. My, my dad's Haitian. I mean, he was actually born in Haiti. He remembers the countryside with fires all over it, like like literally bonfires and people doing voodoo dances and chants and stuff on the countryside, right outside of the house. You know, um, hmm. I, I you know, and God bless my, my grandmother, my late grandmother, my, my, my father's mother. I mean, she actually did visit voodoo doctors because it was cultural in Haiti, yeah. and so yeah, there there was a lot of stuff on both sides spiritually that that wasn't cleaned up because you know that's just not understood And and i tell people because people will they struggle with that right they're like well jesus paid it all as the cross and obviously you know either it's a finished work or it's not so how can you say that a christian can have a demon you know one of these like really silly questions and i say well let's talk about let's talk about let's talk about acts chapter eight let's talk about simon the sorcerer let's talk about how he was saved under philip's ministry and baptized in the name of jesus and when peter and john came down peter looked at him after he tried to buy the gift and he said look i perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity what is he saying he's saying you're in the bondage of the iniquity of your ancestors right now, having been saved and baptized in the name of Jesus. He is a sorcerer. He probably came from a family of sorcerers. That stuff's always generational. Of course he had, he needed to be cleaned up. What did he do? He said to Peter, pray for me. That's the same thing we need to do. We need to get prayer. We need to get delivered. We, We need this stuff in our bloodlines cleaned out. You know, I tell people like there is a difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity. This is a biblical study. We could walk through it verse by verse, but we're on a podcast. So I'm just going to break it down real quick. They're all different words in the Hebrew and the Greek. And, you know, sin, sin is hamarsha. That means to miss the mark. Transgression is when you move into a state of rebellion, but iniquity is actually a genetic shift. So the Bible says that the God will uh, visit the iniquity of the Fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. It doesn't say that he's going to visit their transgressions or their sins. It says iniquity. Why? Because iniquity is actually the genetic shift that happens when you have committed your life to a sin bondage. It actually changes you. And so an alcoholic father will give birth to a son that is predisposed to alcoholism. It's actually in his genes. Right. And that's why the Bible says we are baptized with the baptism of regeneration because what Jesus wants to do is regene us with the God code that breaks the power of that iniquity that's actually anchoring our DNA to a fallen state. So when you talk about resolving iniquity, you're talking about doing so through a legal process. When you see the book of, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of spinning this fast, but you know, people really struggle with this stuff. When you look at the book of Zechariah, you see in chapter three, uh, 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 verse four, three or four, you know, Joshua, the high priest, is standing before the Lord, and it's a heavenly court setting, this is in the courts of heaven, and he pulls Zechariah, the prophet, into this court setting, Satan standing at his right hand to resist Joshua and accuse him, and the Lord rebukes Satan, and then he removes these dirty garments from Joshua the high priest and gives him new garments, priestly garments. And then Zechariah prays to God and he says, give him a crown. So they put a turban on his head, right? And what's happening there is that God says, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. So what happens is iniquity is removed through a legal process, which is why when I just go in there and I say, well, Lord God, I'm sorry that I had a bad thought today forgive me. And then I go to bed and I get hammered by a demonic entity through an open door. It has a legal right to do that because I'm not resolving the iniquity with that simple statement. I actually have to go in and clean my bloodline out to break the power of the kingdom of darkness to harass me in that way, which is ultimately how I enjoyed the freedom that I enjoy today. I mean, you know, we figured all these things out. Now we're helping others get free the same way. And, and it's exciting.
1: Wow. That is exciting, man. Um, Thank you for that. Uh, the other question I had, I noticed you had um, like a big emphasis on, on, on church hurt in your ministry as well. And you mentioned that's part of your story. Um, you said you got kicked out. Can you give some more details on, on how that really came about?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I had
1: a, a, a history of,
0: of disappointments. Um, when I was in high school, I, I uh, this was part of the high school testimony, you know, I got involved with... Um, high school group, Young Life. And there was a guy that was leading it. And he, and I thought he was real hip and real cool. And so, um, you know, I bonded with this guy, some of my friends as well. We all kind of really connected. We had like an inner circle, so to speak, um, where we were really kind of stepping into that role of leading and going deep with God, with him, kind of being discipled and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, his leadership was not good or healthy. And he uh, inadvertently basically crashed and burned the whole group for our little city. And uh, when things failed on that front, he abandoned ship. And um, he never, he didn't even pick up his phone after that. Like we'd call him, we'd say, hey, what happened? You know what? Nothing. I mean, it was just a drop. So that that was like abandonment rejection from a spiritual leader. It was like, wow, this is is discouraging, you know, Um, but it was immaturity on his side, right? So moving on, when I got to college and I joined this church, you know, um, I went to a, uh, they call it, they had a retreat and I, I, they were giving a message on submission that they were talking about submission and what healthy submission looks like and all this stuff. And I was convicted. So I went to one of the pastors afterwards and I was like, I want to submit. Whatever that means, I want to submit to your leadership. Uh, I, I want you to coach me. I want you to, what, what, what can I do? How can I get your investment in my life? How, how can I serve? And um, so he decided he wanted to set up weekly meetings and um, you know that's where he just hacked away at my character. I mean, I, and I was like an open book. I'm like, tell me everything wrong. Like, I'm just gonna listen to it, just smash me, man. Here's what's going on in my life. Like, tell me why I'm screwing it up. And so, you know, I opened the whole book to him and, and it was real good. I mean, that, that was a really, really uh, good experience for me to have leadership kind of pour into my life, you know, whip my butt a little bit, get, get my mind right, you know. Um, but I was growing, I was growing really fast. And, you know, like I said, these, these people, they didn't believe in the gift of tongues, much less prophecy, they didn't understand, spiritual warfare deliverance, you know, I was getting materials from other ministries on these subjects, I come back to my leadership and I'd be like, look, look at this, and this is this. And by the way, you know, you never answered my questions about what happened to me. And there was tension. And eventually we, you know, we just had to have the conversation. Either you believe the way we do or you can get out. And so God said, time to leave. But it hurt, it hurt, mm-hmm. you know, um, moving forward. You know, I, I went to Bible school. Um, I, I, I had actually gotten married the summer between um, high school and college. And uh, that that marriage, unfortunately, you know, it didn't make it actually. Um, you know, uh, my wife now, which is amazing. She's amazing. It's such, such a glorious experience being married to my wife now. Um, but I, I have been through divorce. And... That first marriage, I mean, you know, year one, we hit the rocks. It was just not, we actually got separated. And um, I was at that church and I was looking for help. I mean, I was, cause I was hurting bad. I was hurting bad at the time. And I was just like, gosh, I need some discipleship, someone to pour into me. They had care pastors. I sought out help. And I mean, I, I couldn't get these people to call me back. I, I, I tried several people. I'm like, this is what I'm going to. I, I'm, I'm sewing at the church. I'm doing everything. I'm a Bible school student. Um, I'm going to show up, whatever it is, whatever I need to do on my end, I'm going to do it. I, I just, you know, I'm looking for that, that help. And, it, you know, it was just disappointing to find that I couldn't get it. I mean it's just it was just not there I had to navigate the entire thing from beginning to end between me and Jesus yeah in the midst of a mega church so you know it was things like this you know I can give you more more stories but after a certain point you know I I I just kind of got the message it was just like gosh I just, I just don't know if leadership is a good thing for me <laughs> like I know Jesus is a good thing for me but I don't know if leadership is a good thing for me like leaders are scary people um because I just don't know how I'm going to get disappointed or let down next. Um, future experiences that were negative included, you know, being identified as a threat, you know, uh, targeted because you know I'm, I'm shining too bright. This anointing, you know, what what do we do with this? We don't know how to steward this guy. So let's just shut him down. Maybe maybe that's the right answer. So I had to deal with that. Um, I actually had, you know, I shared the story. I had one pastor that literally prayed the fire of God right out of my life. It was crazy. And I had to speak crop failure to his prayers um, in order to get back into my normal state. I I, I mean, it was literally, you know, I came into this guy's church. I submitted to him. I'm like, you know, I'm going to help him whatever way I can. Uh, after a couple months of knowing me, I I didn't know this at the time, but he felt a certain kind of way. And so he went to God, I found this out later, um, and started praying, Lord, slow the brother down. So on my end, all I know is one day I wake up, no desire to pray, no desire to fast, no desire to read the word of God. I got on Netflix and I was just like hours for a couple of days. I mean, I'm just like, I don't want to do anything like Jesus. Like, what is this? And so I'm sitting on a couch, like, after several days had gone by. And I was like, God, I don't even want to talk to you right now. I don't know why I am. But I just don't know what happened. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, your pastor's been praying against you. And I'm like, that doesn't happen. He was like, you need to speak crop failure to the prayers that your pastor has been praying against you, Daniel. And I said, this is weird, but I will do it. So I spoke crop failure. I loosed the locus of the Lord. And it was like this wet blanket just came up off of me in the spirit. All of a sudden in the very moment, the fire came back. The desire to pray came back, the desire to spend time in the word came back, everything. I was just like, whoa, you know? I was like, I came back to myself. I was like, whoa what does this mean? A couple months down the road, I'm talking to this pastor guy because I was moving. And I was like, I'm not going to go to your church anymore. And no, I'm not going to travel and drive all this time just to come back to your church on Sundays and go back to where I live. This is the end of our relationship. And so I was having a conversation with him and he said, you know, brother, I have to be honest with you. (laughs) And he fessed up. He was like, I was real worried about you. You just... You move so fast, and so I was praying to the Lord. I said, "Lord, slow this brother down."
1: <laughs> what?
0: I looked at him. I said, "Please, Pastor, don't ever pray for anyone like that again." I just I was very I was very polite, but I I, I said it, you know, yeah. um, because w- w- there, there is something to spiritual leadership, you know, leaders do have an authority to activate, to unlock, also to lock up and to shut down. Um, many leaders don't know how to exercise that authority that they get when they do step into these seats of pastor. And, and, and those that do, unfortunately, some of them uh, know only how to abuse it, but not how to use it to really build kingdom. It's, um, it's unfortunate. And, and, and some people are just ignorant. So, yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wound up writing a book. It was called "Wounded by Leadership." I actually wrote—I wrote the book, um, yes. and I talked in there about ways that God coached me and getting over that. Right, because the truth is, God has a kingdom. The kingdom is a government. God has a as, as an order for things. He—he he doesn't do things haphazardly. He doesn't do anarchy. God puts order and structure in everything He does, and. And, and that's how he designs these, even his body. So he puts order, he puts offices, all of these things are there, uh, according to Ephesians for to, you know, build up the saints, right. To, to, to bring us to Christ's likeness. And so there's a very healthy thing that we have to embrace. We have to get over our hurt. We have to get over our fear, um, because this is how God works. So, so I talk about some of the things that he took me through to heal from all of that. And, um, pain is real
1: yeah yeah well i appreciate you talking about that um that is that's, that's quite the story um and it uh so it harks back to kind of what i um actually this is a question i had i think off of one year podcast uh you mentioned speaking tongues uh speaking in tongues for the first time and in your testimony you talked about how that gift was restored um so uh, talk about I would like for you to talk about that, that first experience, but then talk about why is it that that, that was uh, needed to be restored? Uh, was that um, taken away or, or you know, what what was the reason for, for that gift not being um, something that was taking place for, I guess, a certain period yeah. of time?
0: You know, this is a very good question. Um, I'm not gonna give you a theological answer. I'm just gonna tell you what happened. Yeah. You know, um, when I was, when I was in high school, Uh, shortly before I just kind of threw in the towel um, I decided I wanted to receive the gift of tongues and so I just went to the word which says you know if men being evil know how to give good gifts to their children how much more, more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those that ask so I just turned some worship music on went into prayer no one was in the house. My, no one, I came home one day, no, no one was home. So it was like alone time. So I, yeah. I, I turned on our little like stereo system. We had a surround sound system in the living room and I put on some worship music. And this is actually a really interesting story because I went to pray to receive the gift of tongues and a spirit actually came in and turned the volume down as I was praying to receive the gift of tongues to try to spook me. So I actually had to like rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Music came back to normal volume, but I was just, you know, believing God. So I, I, I prayed for it to receive it. And then I just sat and waited. And what happened was, you know, I, I, I felt this bubbling, like but butterflies in my stomach and I started hearing this language in my head. And then I decided, I, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I had no one to coach me through this. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just make those sounds with my mouth and, and and see what that does. So I started to make the sounds I was hearing in my head and and the butterflies started to come up and then I got spooked and I was like, no, that can't be right. That doesn't sound right. This is all like the people at church. So I, I stopped, I shut it all down and I went back. I'm like, no, Lord God, I want to really receive the gift of tongues. So so then I waited, it all died down. And then the butterflies came back and then I started hearing the same thing. And so, you know, I, I went forward with it. I just stepped it by faith, started, you know, letting my mouth cooperate. And after a, a, a little bit, like a, a number of maybe 15, 20 seconds, I'm just, um, I'm just doing this. I'm just making it happen. What's going to happen? The joy of the Lord hit me like a rocket ship. I mean, it was just like, damn, And I was like, whoa, I, it was just, you know, this exuberant state of joy. I was, and then I was just praying. I mean, I was just, the, the tongues were just coming out like a river. It was like, oh, wow. And so that was how I received the gift. But shortly after I threw in the towel, on. I was just like, I just don't want this anymore. I'm tired of the attacks. I'm tired of the harassment. I'm tired of this. You know, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just taking a break. I went to college, I backslid. So in all of this time, I'm not praying in tongues. I'm not practicing the gift. It, it, so it just went dormant, you know? And, and I actually experienced this with people. People go to a church. They may receive the gift of tongues but then they never practice it. So it's like the gift goes dormant. And then they'll meet me, they're like, yeah, I spoke in tongues once, but I need to receive the gift of tongues. It's like, no brother, you already have it. You just need to re-engage it. And so really when I say um, it was restored to me, I re-engaged the gift that went dormant because I just wasn't practicing it. I wasn't exercising it. I wasn't using it. Yeah. And so it was for my experience, like it wasn't there at all. And- um, Anyway, that's the answer.
1: You think the reason why it went dormant is because you said you went to that conservative church, so you felt like you kind of had to shut it down? Like, did that play a role? No,
0: no, it it went dormant because I wasn't praying. (laughs) (laughs) I was backsliding, drinking, not praying. Um, The conservative church came later. But, you know, I will tell you, that when you go into a body of believers where there is a lack of faith and a cultural state of unbelief, it is hard for gifts to flow. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, you know, the environment is self-policing. The religious spirit is a brutal taskmaster.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, this actually something you mentioned in your book, which we haven't even gotten into yet. Um, but I wanted to focus maybe our, our... Maybe
0: we should get there.
1: <laughs> uh, I wanted to focus our discussion on, on your book. Um, uh, parallel dimensions. Um, there's higher dimensions, um, parallel dimensions, and and the spirit realm. Um Sorry, I, I wanted to get that right because you, you cover all three of that in the book higher dimensions, parallel dimensions, and, and the spirit realm. Um, and at the end of it, you talk about uh, the kingdom of God. And so you just mentioned it there. So I just figured we'd, we'd go ahead and, and, and go there now. Um, so the, the kingdom of God, you know, Jesus spoke about that like it was at hand now. Um, yet, uh, you know, we see as, as many futures do. Christ's millennial reign as the kingdom of God. So there's this kingdom of God now and there's this future kingdom of God that we're awaiting. Um, So talk about uh, what does that mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand, knowing that that we're still uh, looking forward to an actual physical um, reign as Jesus uh, here on earth for a thousand years.
0: Yeah, well, I, I talk a lot about the kingdom of God? I mean, that's such a loaded question. You know, that, that i it's like, where do I even begin? Because, um, I mean, you know, you're, you're, we're talking about higher dimensions, parallel dimensions, in the spirit world, okay. I wrote another book called Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations, which is over 400 pages long. I have a whole course on the kingdom of God. I have another, you know, course on the kingdom and the end times, um, hours and hours of teaching and extremely thorough and in-depth notes. Um, those are available at the Bride Ministries Institute. Uh, and, 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 and then, you know, I have another course called Realms and Dimensions Unsealed at the Bride Ministries Institute, which gets into an, uh, an understanding of kingdoms and governments as realms, and an entirely new way to view reality, which is through the lens of governments and how... Uh, well, you know, the Hebrew word for kingdom is Malkut, which on four occasions in the Bible is also translated realm. And so everything is a realm. Every cell in your body is a realm, your soul is a realm, your spirit is a realm, your house is a realm, your business idea is a realm, Jesus Christ himself is a realm, death and Hades is a realm, and uh, they're all kingdoms because that's Malkut, right? So the, the, the connection is extremely deep and vast, But I'm going to park that, go back to the beginning and kind of oversimplify this. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand because, you know, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. When Jesus was preaching, he was not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the difference? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we engage the good news of his kingdom. Jesus is the door, right? That's what he says. He said, I'm the door. So no man comes in or out except through that door. You, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. So the kingdom of God is the, 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 the dimension where God is king. It's the realm of his government where his government flows from heaven to earth. And, and, and for that reason, Jesus said, look, you know when the kingdom of God is at hand because you're gonna see the devils driven out You're going to see the lame walk, the blind see. You are going to watch as the dimension of God's government superimposes its reality on the physical experience. So Jesus was in his entire ministry demonstrating the kingdom. That's why he said, I come from a kingdom you know not of. It's not of this world but I'm interfacing it with this world. I'm superimposing it on this world. Everywhere I go, there's abundance. You know, Jesus turned water to wine. He fed 5,000 people with bread and fish. I mean, he, he did miracles. And it's like, well, how is he doing this? He's interfacing the physical 3D earth with the realm of his own government. So what Jesus does when he comes in, you know, and, and I think, Kingdom understanding is is highly misunderstood by a lot of the body of Christ because what people don't understand is that covenant and kingdom go hand in hand, right? Covenants are agreements between two parties or two people groups, often two kingdoms. and when God is making covenants with people throughout history, he is bringing them into a state of interaction with his realm, right? So, you know, you, you see there's a Noahic covenant, there's an Abrahamic covenant, there's a Davidic covenant, you know, there's the old covenant. We have a new covenant. With all of these covenants, like God is bringing man and, and kingdoms and groups into a, a partnership, with his dimension and in fact you see this so clearly in the book of deuteronomy 28 because when you read it you realize that god is saying if you obey my laws blessed will you be in the city blessed will you be in the country blessed will you be when you come in blessed when you be when you go out you'll be the head and not the tail above and not beneath your bread basket and your kneading bowl will be blessed all the fruit of your loins will be blessed see that doesn't make any sense so you're telling me that if I observe these religious days, and if I you know, um, deal with civil matters in, in, in this way and this, and that, then all of these blessings are just gonna happen. My crops are gonna be great. Like, there's a lot of wisdom, but what we see is that God is saying, no, because of this covenant, when you obey me, I am interfacing my dimension with yours. My realm is superimposing your experience and you are going to be a kingdom of priests. You are going to coach the nations in my ways. That was his original plan for Israel, right? And he, he was gonna make the most wealthy nation, the most influential nation on the earth. They had the promises to achieve that. They just had to obey. But the reason why it would happen is not some natural circumstances. It's an interaction with his realm. So when he came to the Pharisees, he's like, listen, the kingdom of God is being taken away from you and given to a nation, producing the fruits thereof. Jesus Jesus demonstrated what it looked like to walk in the expression of God's kingdom because these people, they forgot. They didn't understand it. And then he transferred the kingdom. He transferred the kingdom because they had locked the children of Israel out of the kingdom of God with their oral Torah. They put on them this unreasonable set of rules and expectations. It wasn't even God's word. They locked out a whole nation of people and Jesus said, no, no. This earth needs to be exposed to my government and I am going to raise up a company of people to do it, a company of kings and priests that I am going to put in me. And so we're all in Christ now. We are redeemed by his blood and, and, and that redemption is found in him. And so now you see that the kingdom of God is interfacing with the earth through the body of Christ. And we're the ones called to cast out the demons, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick. Um, And and, and there's so many more layers to, to kingdom thinking because when you begin to understand that you are in vital connection with a government and a realm through an agreement that is eternally established, that is a new covenant, There are a lot of benefits to that, you know, like your mansion, because people think, oh, you know, I'm going to die and then I'll get to, you know, go to my mansion in heaven or I'll get a mansion after Jesus comes back because it says, you know, when I return, I'm going to take you to this place I'm going to prepare for you. And I tell people, get a grip. John 14 is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died and returned at his resurrection, that's how he reconciled us to the Father. And he made a place for us in the Father's house. So our mansions are right now. And we can go there right now. I, I mean, I, I, I visit my mansion whenever I want. I just go there in the spirit. Um, you know, I explore it. I've gone through the rooms and walked. Through. I actually talk about the encounter with my heavenly mansion in the book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, in the Spirit Realm. I talk, in, you know, a whole chapter about, you know, a series of encounters that God first introduced me to this. Later on, you know, it was like, oh, wow, I'll just go there anytime because I'm a son, because I have access, because that kingdom is my home. I'm here as a soldier, that's my home. So, you know, kingdom thinking actually stretches believers into a whole new revelation that we are also in this world yet not of it. And we are operating out of the resources and abundance of a dimension that is not operating by earth's limitations whatsoever. All of the limitations, restrictions, uh, 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 strangleholds on, on, on destiny come off when you begin to understand your calling and your role to this world through the lens of God's kingdom. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's the thing, right? So the kingdom is right now on the other side of like the veil. So you have to be in the spirit to encounter his kingdom there's gonna come a time where the, there is no veil. That kingdom that is spiritual is physically, materially, integrally on the earth, established in plain sight, plain day. And, and, and that's really the shift. But, but for those that understand, the, dis, the difference is, is almost nominal because the more real the spirit gets, the, the more acclimated you become to the other side of the veil, the more it doesn't matter whether it's physical or not, because you're operating out of the abundance of what is anyway. And that's where we try to coach people. It's like, dude, we serve a big God. You're part of the household of heaven. This is exciting stuff.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, so what I love so much about your book is you, you, you sort of give the reader, um, sort of a, a way to access that, that's, that spiritual realm. I want to get into that later. Um, but uh, let me just start with k- kind of the beginning of your book, which one of the most fascinating chapters, I think it's probably the, the, the first and second. Um, you talk about um, this veil, right? We have this higher dimension that uh, we can't necessarily see with our physical eyes, but we can access it through the spirit. Um, and you, uh, talk about how you sort of reconcile um, this seemingly issue that we have on the first day of creation where there's light before there is a sun. Um, and uh, so so talk about that uh, and, and and what you discovered there and and how that ties into this idea of higher dimensions. All right.
0: So, it, you know, th- th- this is going to be a very loaded, like, slot. But... Um, Let's see if we can do this simply and, and, and shortly. I was uh, studying Genesis 1 one day and I, I ran into a problem. I was like, I don't get it. On the first day, it says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And evening and morning were the first day. I'm like, well, that's simple, straightforward and basic. On day four, the Bible says, and God created the Sun, the moon, and the stars. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. This doesn't make any sense right. because the way I was trained to believe, the sun is what causes day and night. Right. Because the earth rotates around the sun Even in a flat earth model, which I'm not a flat earth guy, but the sun rotates around a flat earth. (laughs) But either way, a sun is the reason why you have day and night. Yeah. How do you have day and night for three days with no sun? Yeah. So I was like perplexed. I was like this, this, ah." and I'm going back and I'm like, gosh, did we learn about this in Bible school? And I'm kind of reading some commentaries on this. And it's just, you know, I'm like, I, I feel like there's, there, there, there's a key here. There's a mystery. There's something that's going to help me better understand the spirit world and the way it interacts with the physical world. I think there's something deep here. And so what I did was I uh, went into a word search and a word study, and I went and studied every word um, in Hebrew relative to those first couple days of creation leading up to day f- um, you know, three day one and two. And I was just like, what if that light that God created on day one was spiritual light? What if it's spiritual light? Because the sun is physical light, but there's no sun. So where's the light coming from? What if this is spiritual light? But if it's spiritual light, what if the first few days of creation are actually occurring in the spirit realm? What if God is preparing a template in the spirit, which gets overlaid by a physical creation. In other words, you think about building a house, you put the wood frame up first, then you put the drywall in. Does anybody ever see the wood frame? No, you'd have to go on the other side of the drywall to find the wood frame. But you have to put the wood frame first to hang the house on it. You know, you can't put a table cover if there's no table underneath. Now, if you go to a table with a table cover on it, it may cover the whole table. You may see no legs, you may see no table, but you see a a box shape with a drape on it. Like, okay, why? Because someone, set up a table underneath and then put the table cover on afterwards. I said, so what if creation is similar? One of the interesting things, if you talk to a lot of these people that, you know, a new age, they're channeling spirits, aliens, they call them, right? Um, they say these beings are coming from the fifth dimension. And we haven't really explained dimensions yet. And there is a difference between dimensions and heavenly places. Um, I'll get to that, but to say, you know, these entities largely exist in higher dimensions and they need energy in order to incarnate themselves in the lower dimensions, that is the 3D plane. Even in some of these Illuminati rituals, that's why they're doing all this blood sacrifice. They're doing it, ritual incantation, sacrificing blood, killing children, drinking, you know, adrenochrome. <laughs> but, but when they're doing all this torturing people, they're raising the energy level so that when they open the portals, these entities are able to incarnate a physical form. But where they exist, they are above the three-dimensional manifestation most times. I said, what if there's a whole creation and history that exists on these higher frequencies? And God is now in the creation story, we read hanging a physical reality on top of that. I did a word study. And what I found was that for the first couple days of creation, specifically days one and two, no element, no word requires a physical understanding at all. In fact, you know, I looked up, um, you know, uh, void, I looked up darkness, I looked up light. And I just, I just did these word studies and I com, 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 uh, compared the words to other scriptures in the Bible. Lo and behold, you know, the word for light used in Genesis 1 is the same word that's used when we're talking about the light of God later in the book of Psalms. You know, the word for darkness is, is, is used for um, people whose state is in spiritual darkness later on in the Bible. Like the, the, these words do not have the implication of being physical yeah they can be but they're not mandatorily physical in any way for the first couple of days and I said wow so I began to imagine a new way of looking at this where there is actually this creation happening that is a spiritual creation and then God comes behind that and begins to hang the physical reality that we see on top of it In other words, first spirit, secondarily natural, which sets up the pattern. Because in everything, it's first spirit, secondarily natural. If something's going to happen in the natural, it has to first be established in the spirit. And so the pattern seems to make sense. It also makes sense of basically everything we experience in this reality. Why would I see demons walking around my house as a kid? Answer, because my 3D reality is sitting on top of a... A spiritual reality that is normally hidden behind this invisible barrier. So it blocks my physical senses from engaging with it, but it's always there all the time. And so, you know, as we begin to explore, like, you know, how do covens work, right? I mean, literally, I, I will talk to people who have been witches and you know, they they go and they astral project and go to buildings in the spirit that have a very specific location that does not exist in the natural realm. If you go there in the natural, it's a farm. Yeah. There's nothing there but a barn. In the spirit, there's a structure there where they go and report, but you can't see it in the natural. But it's sitting on a plot of land in the physical. How does that happen? Well, the lower regions of the spirit world are completely interfaced with the physical realm. It, the, the physical realm sits right on top of it. Yeah. And so I said, wow, this really helps me to better understand certain things that we're dealing with. It actually un- helps me to understand why you have these interactions between, you know, the lower regions of the spirit world and the natural world It's all over the place. You know, if you go to people who live on Indian burial grounds, I mean, it's not uncommon to get poltergeist stories. Yeah, you know, and poltergeist comes around, the cabinets will just slam themselves. Like who's opening and closing your cabinets physically where are they doing that from? Yeah, they're doing it from the spirit world, right underneath our physical reality. It's so close that you can manipulate the physical reality from that side, hmm. and um, you know. So, so, so many people in the occult and the New Age they call it the astral plane. I, I I use that term as well because that just helps me to differentiate the realm of the spirit world that is, uh, most closely interfacing with the 3d earth from the higher dimensions of the spirit world that may, you know, be in a sixth or seventh dimensional state of existence, harder to understand.
1: Yeah. Um, so why don't you go over, um, kind of the higher dimensions? Cause I do want to get into, um, some follow-up questions there. Um, but you just mentioned like six and seven dimensions there. Um, but l- l- why don't we just stick with, uh, you know, heavens, we know that Paul was taken to the third heaven. So where, where are those dimensions? Right. So
0: when I was uh, working on all of this stuff, cause I'm trying to understand mechanics, I'm a big mechanics guy because when you get the mechanics, right, then you can solve difficult problems. If the mechanics are wrong, uh, you'll always come to the wrong answer. So, I'm engineering for a set of tools that I can use to come to the right answer for, you know, basically getting people set free in the name of Jesus. I mean, so um, I was asking myself, are heavenly places, which is a term used on more than one occasion in the Bible, Ephesians chapter six, for instance, the same as dimensions? You know, the Bible says that there are heavenly places in Christ Jesus, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter one. Like, is that a dimension or is there a nuance between those terms? And and what I realized is there's a nuance between those terms. A dimension is simply an extension in a given direction. It actually helps more to see this visually uh, presented um, which is why I put some visuals in my book and and people can go to YouTube and, and look up visual demonstrations of like, fourth, fifth and sixth dimensions. They'll, they'll have videos which show like lines being drawn and how you create shapes and move up the dimensions. But a simple definition is a dimension is an extension in a given direction. Yeah. So zero dimensions is just a point that has neither length or width. Uh, one dimension is a, a length. It's, it's, it's just an extension in, in uh, two dimensions. Now you enter length and width. You can create shapes, box, square, circle, you know, three dimensions that's length, width and height. Each time you add a dimension, you add an extension in a given direction that is 90 degrees perpendicular to all existing dimensions. That's how you move. So in order to get to two dimensions, I have to go from an X axis to an X, Y axis. If I want to move from three dimensions, I have to go from an X, Y axis to an X, Y, Z axis. Want to go to four dimensions, I go from X, Y, Z axis to an X, Y, Z, W axis. This allows me to begin creating four-dimensional spaces. We call those hyperspaces. So you're adding extensions in a given direction at 90 degrees perpendicular. This breaks the brain. The moment that you get beyond three dimensions, the brain stops working. It's like, "Oh, oh, my gosh, you know, how do I, you know? So it helps to look at visual models Um, which i spent a lot of time doing to try to like get it you know yeah but as we move up higher in the dimensions um there are heavenly places that can be found on different dimensional levels you you can have a heavenly place that's sitting in a fifth dimensional space you can have a heavenly place that's sitting in a seven-dimensional space and operating according to the laws thereof. So you actually have heavenly places um, all throughout creation. Um, Some of them exist in what the Bible calls the second heavens. Some of them exist in what the Bible calls the third heavens. Now, when we talk about heavens, I explain it like this. Um, The first heaven is the air we breathe physical earth. This is the world we inhabit. The second heaven, um, according to scripture, in my view, begins at outer space and extends to the dimensions where the kingdom of darkness has access. So in the second heavens, you have the constellations, you have other, you know, fifth and sixth dimensional spaces, which is like other worlds entirely, other universes, um, and you, you, you do have a situation where the kingdom of darkness has encampments, um, kingdoms, uh, outposts, all kinds of stuff scattered throughout. And at the same time, you do have a whole lot of angelic activity, which are there to execute the purposes of God. So the second heaven is a massive war zone. Yeah. And then Paul talks about in second corinthians the third heaven which is paradise now i believe that that is basically the kingdom of god where god is seated where his temple is where his system of governance is His courts are all of this and where our mansions are in the father's house like that's third heaven space and so you have heavenly places that exist in the second heaven, heavenly places that exist in the third heaven. There are different dimensions that run through. Um, And so what you have, when you look at the picture holistically is a really complicated situation. It's it's just, God is not a simple guy. He has really created something extraordinary. And most of us have no idea just how much we're interacting with.
1: Yeah awesome man thank you that was very very well put um so i want to go back to what you kind of uncovered um in in creation and i wanted to ask you um because on the surface it seems like this does not allow for a pre-ademic um earth age but i wanted to ask anyway is that something that, that you dismiss
0: no i i, I absolutely embrace a pre adamic okay
1: yeah I just didn't, how, how do you reconcile that with um with kind of what you're talking about with there being the spiritual overlay on day one.
0: Yeah, so um, before you get to day one, you get to Genesis 1-2. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's there before God says, let there be light. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's there before God says, let there be light. So, you know, that, 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 that's part of it. I also, um, because this is big, you know, the pre-Adamic thing is a big deal. And it's a big deal not to like the average person. It's a big deal to the community of people we are committed to helping. Illuminati defectors, bloodliners, people that come from high levels of the occult world. Why? Because their bondage on their bloodlines pulls on pre-Adamic iniquity. Mm. Ask me how I figured that out helping people, right? Like getting there, getting my hands dirty and trying to figure out how to get people out of their situation that's uncomfortable. And it was like, wait, in order to relieve you of this problem, we actually have to use language that addresses pre-Adamic iniquity. Why? Why is that the case? You know, but the Bible seems to point to pre-Adamic stuff in, in, in a number of contexts one of them comes, in interestingly enough, from the book of uh, Ezekiel, chapter uh, 28. And I'm going to pull it up real quick because it's just interesting, you know. Um, the Bible is talking about God throwing the um, king of Tyre Out of heaven, who is understood to be Lucifer. It says in verse 14 of Ezekiel 28 You were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you, you are on the holy mountain of God, right? This is a pre Adamic conversation. He was on the holy mountain of God, God threw him out. But when we get to verse 17, it's so interesting. Um, It says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about a pre-Adamic context conversation with Satan as a cherub on the mountain of God. Who are these kings? Yeah. And voila. So there are kings that pre-exist the Garden of Eden and Adam. Yeah. Who are they? right? I think they're different groups. I think that this would include the Anunnaki's, Enki, Enlil, some of these guys. Like, you know, there's stuff that happened with other planets. Like, there there seems to be uh, a a lot of history. You know, the Bible doesn't necessarily give us everything that's ever happened. It gives us what we need to know to connect to God. But the the Bible has these smoking guns. And I'll tell you, when you hit the ground and you are doing that frontline ministry and actually seeing what it takes to get people free, you realize there is a need to resolve pre-Adamic iniquity in order to break certain things off of people's lives. And yeah, uh, I absolutely embrace that even though I, I, I do look at, you know, I, 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 and I'll just say this, it, it doesn't bother me to think that some of the pre-Adamic history is happening at a higher frequency and on a higher dimension. In other yeah. words, not in a physical 3D experience.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's really what I was getting at. And that's kind of how I had reconciled it in my mind. Um, so it's good to, to hear you say that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm curious because um, I just have to ask, because you talk about deliverance and iniquity um, being, you know, that, that we're dealing with now, people that you're, you know, delivering or dealing with, from from a pre-demic race, so how how is that how's that passed on from a pre-demic race to someone now that that where's the tie in there? I guess is my question. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a big mess, isn't it?
1: <laughs> so, I mean, there's
0: there's a lot of layers to this question, and 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 the truth is, you know, th- there's things that I could say that are going to sound completely off the wall, but are true. And there are things that I can say that are true and make more sense to the the person that's gonna be listening to this. Um, One of the ways that you're bringing in pre-Adamic iniquity is through the interaction of some of these fallen groups with human races, right? Um, Now the Bible tells us about Genesis chapter six. We learn that there were these Company of Watchers, Book of One Enoxus 200, came down on Mount Hermon, they rebelled and they inseminated man with their seed. Hybrids were on the earth. And um, you know there's, there's, there's a whole chronology after that. And so, so we look at that, yes. Um, but that incursion is not by any means the only interaction that humans have had with other groups that are not human um, in history. I mean, there's stuff that happened then and also after that, you know, there is a lot of inception um, and convergence points between human populations. And, you know, there's this book, it's called Snatched from Satan's Claws. The book was written by a uh, witch doctor that defected to Jesus Christ from Africa. And he talks about how, I mean, just the most bizarre things for the average person, but you know, the world that I live in, it's normal. Uh, So this guy was actually breastfed by a mermaid. It's like his first chapter, right? Um, His father was a witch doctor, came from a long line of witch doctors. Eight generations back, the story goes that there was a woman who came out of the sea. That's the underwater spirit kingdom physically incarnated, married the man, the warlord or whatever. And she was the mother of the next generation. And for, you know, for seven generations, people are borrowing on the genetics from this female entity that comes from the underwater spirit kingdom. And they all have magical powers. And it's like, oh no, this is common knowledge. This is exactly what happened for them. For us in America, we're like, oh, these guys are, you know, a few crayon short of a, (laughs) you know, a a crayon box. I mean, it's just like, it it doesn't, it doesn't register with us, but I'll say this, you know, Greek thinking, this Western mindset that has really dumbed down and actually uh, completely overwritten earth history with fantasy is the problem. The fantasy is the idea that other groups and entities have not been interacting with earth for thousands of years. The truth is that there have been a lot of incursions between angels, fallen angels, earth entities, all kinds of stuff for thousands of years. And those that are illuminated are participating in this world. Yeah. You know, a whole big part of like the Nazis thing, they, they were looking to interact with the Nordics. That's why they were up in, um, uh, 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 the
1: gosh, uh, Antarctica,
0: well, yeah, they, you know, they, wherever the Dalai Lama sits, I, I forget mountain range, Tibet. They went, they, they did this expedition to Tibet. They're looking for how can we connect with this group, this race that lives inside of the earth called the Nordics. You know, they didn't believe that was fantasy. Uh, they, they based a whole lot of stuff on their, their beliefs, you know? So, so I, I, I have a term I coined, I call it the false reality overlay. The false reality overlay is basically what locks us into a very basic 3D uh, limited viewpoint of what humanity is, uh, what this earth experience is. And it's largely defined by what we learn in school. Textbooks written by people that really they don't know what they're talking about. And um, the real history is hidden, secret, covered up and um, known to those who are in the occult, those who are the initiated and those who are interacting with it for power and gain. And, um, you know, with that said, you ask how, 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 how do you have this pre-Adamic iniquity entering in? It, well, it's largely through these interactions between human populations and other groups. Yeah. That's where it comes from. I have a prayer in my book, Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. We didn't, we're not really talking about that much, but I have two books and I have a third one coming out called Extreme Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. So this is the first one. This is the basic stuff. In This book, I have a prayer. It's called Freedom from Non-Human Bloodlines. Every single bloodline listed in a table has resulted in a massive deliverance in with manifestation for thousands of people all over the world. Let me give you a list of some of those bloodlines. Anunnaki bloodline, Martian bloodline, Venusian bloodline, vampire bloodline. Uh, like the, these are not fiction. These things, we, We've even gotten people delivered from the elven bloodline. Elves are not fake. And so, you know, <laughs> I mean... I I just refuse to sit under a false reality overlay, my friend. And people look at me like, oh, this guy, this guy's really nuts. Except for the people that came out of this world and they're like, this is the only guy that can help me because he gets it. I'm like, you know, I'll do that. I'll I'll be crazy for Jesus. I'll go off on a limb and and just embrace the truth on the most ridiculous things if it leads to someone's deliverance, salvation, and inner healing.
1: I'll pay the price. Yes, sir that's awesome yeah Um, so I'm glad I asked that question and actually leading me to another question is how this whole interview has been going everything you're saying reminds me of something I wanted to ask Um, inner earth do you think that that's um, physical spiritual or or both
0: that's you know a great question they came out with a movie recently Uh, (laughs) King Kong versus Godzilla I marveled at this movie because did you see it
1: Yeah, no, I did. I I saw it in the like credits, they flashed like a book. Is it Hollow Earth? And I was like, what? And then the whole thing was Hollow Earth. So yeah, I was, uh, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. It was like, okay, could they preach
0: it any louder? It's like, we're gonna go to Antarctica. Once we get to Antarctica, we're gonna go underground. We're gonna go through the portal in Antarctica through a gravitational inversion, and we're going to enter another world with its own sun and creatures and... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so they just put it in there. I, I, I don't think that what they put there is far from the truth based on what I know. I believe that hollow earth is physical. I do not believe in the propaganda that Earth has a steel core, molten lava, and if you start to dig a hole, you're going to dig to China. I I, I think that's total propaganda. I, I, I don't think that's how ancients understood it. I don't think that's how the Illuminati understands it. I don't think that's how the global elite understand it. I have a client that I worked with that physically got on craft TR3Bs to go through known access points to hollow earth as part of his duties to the Illuminati. Hmm. Okay, like it's just, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think think it's physical. And and, you know, down in the hollow earth, as a matter of fact, it's so real we've been able to map most of the continent names through session work because of all of the people that I've worked with that have participated in different aspects and elements of that hollow earth world.
1: Wow, all right, yeah, Um, cool. Move on to portals since you mentioned it. Um, You you have a chapter I think in your book about portals and this is one of those things, I think my first exposure from a biblical standpoint to this was uh, Tom Horn. I think he wrote it with Chris Putnam on the path of the immortals. Um, And when I kind of first came across portals, I thought this is science fiction. But then I was reading through um, the chapters and the examples and all of a sudden I realized that, oh, my gosh. um, You know, obviously It, it became so so clear to me that, you know, there's there's portals all throughout scripture um so uh can you give some examples of, of some of those that anybody could um could recall that has a um you know and, and has read the bible and then talk about some of uh what you write about in your book these are things that i had not um really thought or, or heard about that uh, i thought was pretty fascinating in regards to portals
0: yeah so um first of all the word portal simply means a door, gate, or an entryway. A simple way to think about a portal is to think about the front door to your house. I cannot enter your house until I step through the portal. When I walk through the door, I transition realms outside to inside. So easy, right? Yeah. So if I want to be in heaven, I have to step through a portal. His name is Jesus, he's the door, he's the gate. I step into Christ and I can encounter the heavenly places found in him, outside, inside. It's amazing, you know, so, so there are many portals that are spiritual portals in the Bible. When we talked about the heavens, we, we talked about how there's first heaven, second heaven and third heaven. As I went through the Bible, I was actually able to map examples of portals that went from and to every point. In other words, first heaven to second heaven portals, first heaven to third heaven portals, and second heaven to third heaven portals yeah. because they're all in the word. So, you know, one of the third heaven to first heaven portals occurs in the book of Ezekiel, right? So he's by the river Kabar and he sees this like, like fire engulfing itself, the cloud. And, and through it comes these four living creatures. And they're standing around these wheels within wheels. And there's someone uh, like unto the son of man, like sitting on this thing above the firmament. What is he looking at? Well, this is a rip in time space, first of all, physically, God, Comes into earth plane for an encounter with Ezekiel on his throne. What Ezekiel is seeing is the throne of God, the same throne that you see in the book of Revelation, four living creatures around the throne. Those are called the cherubs, the cherubim, and 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 and, and the wheels are there. You know, I, I tell people I have a whole teaching about this: the throne of God is mobile. So God travels, it's like a massive vehicle. It's not just like, just sit there because God has nowhere to go and nothing to do. Like his throne is mobile. So he pulls it between realms and worlds. He opens a portal, pulls his throne in there, sits on it. So that's what Ezekiel see. He's seeing a third heaven to first heaven portal open. And you see this, this theme when you see these portals opening, these dark clouds, it's so interesting. You see the same dark cloud on Mount Sinai, which is also the ripping of a port, uh, of, of time and space for God to step into our reality. So on, on Mount Sinai, you hear this massive trumpet, this dark cloud surrounds the mountain. The people are terrified. Moses is the only one that's brave enough to go up into the cloud on the mountain. What, what is he stepping into? He's stepping into that portal that's opened up. And What does he do? He encounters God on Sinai. So you see this theme, like portals from third heaven to first heaven are in the Bible. Um, another example is the Abrahamic covenant where God has him catch these animals, he cuts them in two, and then God puts them to sleep. Why? Wow, this is the covenant of promise. The Abrahamic covenant has nothing to do with Abraham and what he has to do. God upholds the Abrahamic covenant on the basis of his own character. So he puts Abraham to sleep. He says, you don't have anything to do with this, friend. Mm -hmm. And this, this terror of darkness comes in. It's like, what is that? That's the portal. That's the dark cloud. That's in Ezekiel. That's the dark cloud on Sinai. It opens up. God steps in. He walks through those animals that have been cut into and cuts that covenant with Abraham. Now we have an Abrahamic covenant. It's unbreakable. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And from your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, right? Done. So you have these portals. This allows for interaction between realms, you know? Um, But you also have like second heaven to third heaven portals. When God sends Gabriel to talk to Daniel, it takes 21 days. Gabriel takes his assignment from the throne of God. He comes from that realm through the second heaven and hits the Prince of Persia where they go into war for 21 days while Daniel is fasting. That is a second heaven to third heaven portal. Then Michael comes in at the end of that 21 days resolves the conflict and Gabriel makes his way to Daniel and delivers the prophetic word. So that's an example of that, you know, um, It's, it's, it's so interesting. Um, you, you do have uh, a, a situations where, you know, Jacob's ladder. He goes to sleep on the rock and he sees angels ascending and descending on that spot. Um, and and uh, I will also add, And this is one of the coolest things is that Jesus himself demonstrated life as a portal. You know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, "Oh, oh, lift up your hands, O ye gates. You know, people don't think of themselves as portals, but I will tell you that some of the survivors that we work with that have been, you know, um, programmed by the Illuminati... They are massive gates. The kind of spiritual traffic that trades through these people and all of the open doors in their lives and in their DNA and in their blood is extreme. They can change environments and atmospheres uh, with the demonic before they go through heavy deliverance. Uh, they are portals. They're weapons platforms. You know, um, I'm not going to break that down right now. But you know, we are also gates and portals. Jesus told his disciples. He said, "Look." Don't be impressed by what I just did. You'll see greater things than this. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Jesus was a gate for angelic activity. Everywhere he went, he was the exit point for heaven. Angels would come down and just like literally flood the environment because he was there. They were flowing through his spirit. He was the access point. And we're the same way. I mean, in Christ, we can be the Access point of heaven to the earth with the hands and feet of God. So when we get in touch with that, yeah, we begin to understand that look, because we are in an environment prayed up, walking in the fullness of our identity, strong in the spirit, like angels are going to flood an atmosphere because he showed up. They came through your gates because you're a conduit to heaven. So people are portals. um gosh we could go on
1: yeah well let me um this is something i definitely wanted wanted to get to uh i actually have a graphic from your from your book uh this is one of the um i think more fascinating things uh in the book for me because what it did is it grounded kind of this very lofty material into what any christian um uh could go to, and I think that w- would make sense. So uh, can I share that photo? This is the, it's kind of the physical plane, non-physical plane, and you make the tie between body, soul, heart, and spirit. And you can kind of just walk us through that. Um, let me go ahead and share share that photo. And so you can see it. Um, can you see that now? <laughs> okay, so the, the viewer uh, should be able to see that as well um but i thought this was awesome um because it it took kind of what what christians we know to be true from scripture and and spiritual and then also um you know you kind of see some of these science um terms that we're familiar with and you kind of combine them so it's all in one graphic and so there's a lot there but i thought this was really helpful um so yeah walk, walk us through um this graphic if if, if you can (laughs) okay
0: all right so this graphic is um, trying to demonstrate life on both sides of the veil so in the physical world when I meet you Samuel I meet your physical body I see your face your arms your legs but I'm not going to see your soul but if I go into the astral plane I might be able to look at your soul right so on the other side of the veil you encounter the other aspects of our design now the bible says in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 may the god of all peace sanctify you completely i pray your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our lord jesus christ this is i believe the definition of the design of man in that we are a three part being spirit soul and body But the Bible doesn't stop there, because in Hebrews chapter four, it says um, the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I did my word study, and you know I have been to different theological schools of thought where people have said, "Look, the heart is the soul," and other people have said, "No, the heart is the spirit," and I think that both of those kind of fail to grasp the full meaning of what the concept of heart is, but I will tell you in a word study in both Hebrew and Greek, heart is a different word than spirit and soul in all cases. Yeah. In fact, soul comes from the uh, uh, the Greek word suki, also translated mind on many occasions. Spirit comes from the Greek word pneuma, heart, cardia, all different. In Hebrew, it, it, it's... Um, uh, nefesh is soul, heart, leb, spirit, either uh, neshama or um, ruach. And so they're, they're, they're all, the, and, and, and the Bible does not ever confuse these terms. The Bible is very consistent in its application of terms associating spirit, soul, and body. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a theology out there, it's called dichotomy which basically says you have a body and a soul spirit. So anytime you see soul, you can also swap in spirit. Every time you see spirit, you can swap in soul related to man, they're the same thing. That is some of the sloppiest theology you can do. I mean, it's just it's just sloppy, it's a mess. And, and, and there are entire uh, denominations that are completely locked out of a revelation of human design because they've bought into this load of baloney. Um, So I've done extremely thorough word studies on spirit, soul, body, and heart to articulate the differences because how do I know the difference between spirit, soul, body, and heart? Answer, the word of God. The word of God helps me to distinguish those things. And that's exactly what this graphic reveals. It reveals a deep, deep study. And what we learned is that, look, the uh, soul is the conscious mind, will, and emotions. When I talk to you, when you engage with me, most of the time, you're in your soul. That, 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 that's what you're dealing with. Um, and, you know, as we move into the heart realm, we're moving into a gate. The heart I call the subconscious, right? Why? Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Everything your life manifests, demonstrate, all the experiences that you're going to have is in some way, shape or form tied to what you believe in your heart. In other words, if you believe that you are destined to be poor, I could give you a million dollar lottery ticket. But with that mindset, you will spend it in seven or eight months and be broke. It happens all the time. I mean, literally it happens all the time. Now, if I put a wealth mindset in someone's subconscious and I give them a million dollar lottery ticket, they might spend 10% of it and they're gonna invest the rest wisely. Why? Because they have a different heart condition. So the heart is a subconscious. It becomes the location where all of the thought processes that govern our lives sit. It's the seat of human intuition. And as a seed of human intuition, the heart becomes the gate between the soul and the spirit. So, whatever goes into the heart affects the soul and the spirit. And what comes through the spirit can transition through the heart and affect the soul, and vice versa. What comes in through the soul can transition through the heart and affect the spirit. And truly, We can layer that right on the body because the body is an interface with the heart organ physically as well. The spiritual and the physical organ are integrally tied in design. And so this this picture is obviously an oversimplification of the situation, but on the non-physical side of reality, you have a conscious mind in your soul. You have a subconscious mind, which is your seat of human intuition which is a gate between spirit, soul, and, and truly body. And then I called the spirit in this book, the unconscious or superconscious mind. Why? Because the human spirit, I think, is one of the most poorly understood aspects of our design. Um, through the body of Christ, there is a move of heaven to bring a massive revelation to this area. When I began to understand the spirit, I was I was confused. I was taught, yeah, in Bible school, we're a three-part man, but I was told the spirit was kind of like a battery pack. You know, as long as you have your spirit, you're alive. It's 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 a it's a it's a, a a center of worship in the human experience. But other than that, you know, you are you. You are who you are. Um, later, as I began to work with survivors of satanic ritual abuse, I actually ran into some folks that had been exposed to specifically Arthur Burke material. And Arthur Burke uh, had a, a revelation into the human spirit and its fractals. I'm not going to break all of that open here, but in talking to these people, they would switch, right? So I'm, I'm dealing with people that have multiple personality disorder, which is now called dissociative identity disorder, and they switch. So different personalities come to the surface regularly. That's how they survive their situation. And now that's how they engage life, they, they, they switch. And so I would be talking to someone and, you know, the name's Steve. Maggie comes up. I talked to Maggie. She's a part on the inside, really. We can understand that as a soul fragment. Then she switches out. Barry comes up. Talk to Barry, right? We're working through healing and deliverance to bring wholeness to that state of fracturing. And I began to run into spirit. And instead of meeting Barry or Sue or Marge, someone would come forward in the body and talk to me it'd be a different personality, but they would say, listen, I'm Steve's spirit. And I'd be like, you can believe whatever you want to believe about who you are, but I don't get, I don't get what you're saying. That's not my theology. Yeah. Until one day came where I said, you know, I may be unconscious of the fact that I have a spirit, but I'm going to test the waters. So I went in my prayer place and I said, you know, God, If I'm running into these people and they have a human spirit that can come forward and engage from a place of intelligence, its own mind, its own understanding, then I should have one too. And I said, Daniel's spirit, I invite you to come to the surface and be present. And my spirit came forward. It stood on top of me. I felt it. It was very large. And in fact, it was intimidating. And I started talking to it and actually started talking to me I felt about this big Samuel. I was like, oh my gosh, what, what is this? And you know, the experience was so fascinating because I had at that time in my life been journaling all this fantastic stuff. Like God's telling me really cool things and you know, identity stuff. And I'm just like, God, I don't really agree with your positive view on me. All right. I think you're taking this a little too far. I'm going to stay grounded and humble. So I'll write down what I hear you saying, but I don't really believe it. I don't really believe it when my spirit came and stood on top of me, Samuel, it started to declare all of the stuff that God had been speaking to me about my identity in his kingdom as if it believed it. And then I realized at that point, my soul was in conflict with my spirit. Wow. And that I had in my design both that are me. So it totally shifted my thinking in that moment. Because once you have that experience, once you have that encounter with your own human spirit, you can't go back. It's like, this is how I was designed. I have a body with its own intelligence systems. I don't have to tell my body how to breathe. I don't tell my heart how to beat. It has its own intelligence. Hmm. I have a soul with its own intelligence, mind, will, emotions, intellect. I have a spirit with its own intelligence. And then I began to understand that most Christians are completely unconscious of the mind of their spirit. But when they connect with it, it becomes a super conscious mind because my spirit is the part of me that understands the higher dimensions, the things of God, the kingdom of God, the interaction between realms. My spirit is the reason why I understand the mechanics of the spirit world the way I do because he translated to my soul, the mysteries. So the Bible says um, that... that um, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the most high gives it understanding. Hmm. So my spirit and your spirit, truly everyone is listening to this can receive mysteries from God and work as a translator of those mysteries to the soul. And on that basis, we as a company of believers, truly sons of God and members of, of the household of God, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, begin to tap into the wavelength and frequency that Jesus wants us to operate at. Because I will tell you, we have been dumbed down blind deaf for way too long as believers. We, you know, I actually meet Christians that think that Satan is tougher than their God. They're scared of Satan because they think that God is just helpless against all the wiles of the devil. That, that, that's what I call, this is the state of insanity. <laughs> But we were divorced from the the heavenly frequency. It's hard to achieve it without an interaction with the spirit. And when I teach people how to navigate the spirit world, how to go to higher realms in Christ Jesus, how to engage in successful warfare. I'm I'm teaching people, you do a lot of this stuff with your spirit. We don't astral project. I don't pull my soul out of my body and try to fight a demon. That's dumb the spirit has a capacity to do things the soul was never designed to do yeah
1: anyway yeah no i i love that graphic and i don't, I don't know if this was a intentional or um but you know i sort of saw there like a almost a, a hierarchy of dimensions w- within us where we have body um which is just kind of what we can touch and interact with and see physically um and then there's, you know, our, our soul, which where we have our, our, you know, we're taking a little bit deeper there with our, our mind and our intelligence. And then the the spirit, which is really our connection to God. And as you just stated, um, you know, we have revelation through there and that's how we, that's how we connect. Um, so I, I don't know, like I said, that's, that's how I read that. I saw those, you know, basically those higher dimensions, but us what I thought was really cool. Um, awesome. but, uh, Yeah, I thought that was that was really helpful. And, you know, for those listening, um, we're really just kind of scratching the surface on on what's in your book. As you said, you kind of have those visuals in there and, you know, you you obviously go in a lot deeper than than we can in this podcast. So I highly recommend um, picking that up. Uh, I'm trying to decide where I want to go with this now. uh, What We kind of have time for Um, we see new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth. And we know that's where we're headed, where we have now this higher dimension um, descending. Um, is it your understanding that pre-fall in the garden, that Adam uh, and Eve had access to this higher dimension or where there was, in, in my mind, I see that, you know, if, if they're walking with God, um, they're in the higher dimension. And then post-fall, there's, there's that split and, and now that's kind of the state we're in, where um, uh, we, we, you know, there's the veil, I guess. Is that, is, that your, is that your understanding? Am I understanding that correctly? Yep. So um, in my view, the answer is yes. I see
0: the Garden of Eden as a convergence point between heaven and earth. Uh, God gave man dominion in the garden to fill the earth and subdue it. He wanted man to fill the earth with his government. And so the garden was that initial interface between heaven and earth. So I think it was a completely trans-dimensional environment. I think it's banned. And so in the garden, I think there was a connection to heaven. And I think there was a full connection to physical earth. Um, it was spiritual, it was physical. And I think all of that reality was experienced at once by Adam and Eve. And the garden was more than that, it was a temple. The garden was the temple. Adam was a king priest. You know, it's so interesting. I did this study. The words to tend and to keep, when God said that He wanted man to tend and to keep the garden, uh, those words have significance of observing ordinances. Um, they're even used in the context of executing Levitical priestly duties. Like it's not just gardening with a shovel. It's veiled language but there's a lot hidden in that statement. They were put there to tend and to keep the garden. They, they, they were to execute a priestly function in that garden. And um, you know, the plan of God from the beginning is that he would have a bloodline of king priests, a kingdom of priests, that, that's always been his agenda. So Adam was the beginning of that. Jesus Christ was the last Adam who restored everything the first Adam lost. And in him, what do we become? Kings and priests. God tried with physical Israel to make them a kingdom of priests. They didn't do so good at that. It wasn't just the Levitical order that was supposed to be priests. The whole of Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests if you read the history, but it didn't work. So God restores the priesthood in Christ Jesus. And um, that garden was the starting point. It was the inception point. So yeah, I mean, was it heavenly? Absolutely. Was it earthly? Absolutely. Adam was a king priest. He was here to exercise dominion, to fill the earth and subdue it with the government of heaven. And that, that was a tall order. It's a big deal. So, so yeah, I totally see that. I totally see that. And, and one of the more interesting things, and, and, and this will really mess you up. I mean, the Garden of Eden can actually still be engaged now. Like we've engaged Eden. Um, God put a flaming sword there in in Genesis and Adam and Eve couldn't go back. But in Christ, we've gone to Eden. Like I've I've been there. Um, What you find in Eden are trees. (laughs) Interestingly enough, this is so fascinating. But what are these trees? They are the nations of the earth. The trees are the nations of the earth. And so in, um, it's the book of Ezekiel, you know, Uh, There's a whole conversation about the trees of Eden, Egypt, Assyria. God is talking about these nations as trees in the garden of God. Fascinating. In that same garden, you will find trees of righteousness. You know how the Bible says you'll be as trees of righteousness. Um, We have these actual spiritual trees that exist in Eden. Um, And we actually go there and minister to the spiritual trees of righteousness that correlate to people individually. We can also minister to nations in unique intercession from that garden. So when you talk about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're actually talking about governments. Adam submitted to a counterfeit government when he partook of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, yeah, there's a lot of deep connections. I mean, I, I could actually take this conversation deeper than that, um, but you know, there is there are so many mysteries that um, unlock when when you begin to look at some of these things for their spiritual reality and what that means for today.
1: Wow, yeah, um, wow, you blow my mind. Um, I think I'm gonna have to try to close out this interview here um because i'm looking at time and yes sir we'll we'll, we'll switch gears here and i'm going to kind of get into some some personal questions that i normally close out with uh and then i'll have you close this out in prayer um but uh but once again the, the book is that we've been talking about today is higher dimensions parallel dimensions in the spirit realm um and i think you can suggest at the end of it you know to read it like two and three times because it is um it's 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 so deep and, and so much to take in and i kind of felt that going through it um because it is it, very lofty um but it, it's not just it's not just lofty you know you you make it uh, applicable in, in in something that you know you can walk away um uh you know tasked um with something tangible that they can that can benefit you uh spiritually and strengthen your faith so so i really appreciated that um all right, but it did. It also does really stretch stretch your mind. There's points uh, where I'm like, uh, um, my brain was getting wrecked a little bit as well. So so there's that as well. Um, anyway, let's switch gears. Um, favorite book of the Bible, character of the Bible, and verse of the Bible.
0: Oh gosh, favorite. Um, uh, that, that that that's hard for me. I don't know. I love the book of Ephesians. I I really do. I have camped a lot in that book, Um, I've learned a lot in that book. Uh, I also like a lot of the other books, but we'll just put that one out there for now. Um, Favorite character in the Bible, gosh. You know, even though it doesn't say much about him, I marvel at Enoch, I, I really do, because this guy was another level brother, I mean, he was other level, I don't even know what he tapped into fully. But whatever it was, it was really special. And I'd like to figure it out. You yeah. know, um, I, uh, favorite verse yeah. in the Bible. Huh. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I really, Really like a um, that one's tough. I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. Some people, uh, you know, they got that, you know, that one favorite, um, uh, and then other people are, you know, are just like it's almost impossible to to narrow it down. It so. is,
0: is, is, you know. Uh, uh, but I do like the verse because this gives me a lot of bandwidth for what I deal with. Um. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them. But when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. I love that. That helps me a lot.
1: Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Cool. All right. So this will be the the last question, and then you can close this out in prayer. Uh, if you could have dinner, um, this might be uh, equally as difficult. Um, if you could have dinner with five people that are alive, uh, who would they be? Five people who are alive. Or dead, you, either, either or. You can mix match um, dead or alive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to put my wife on the list. I'd have dinner with my wife. Nice. Uh, I'm going to have dinner with my wife. Um, I, would, I, I, I would have dinner with Donald Trump. Wow. I would have dinner with, I would actually be fascinated to have dinner with Vladimir Putin. I know that's strange. But I would be fascinated to uh, have a conversation. Like,
1: yeah.
0: um, I would have dinner with Um, gosh, I'm just going to throw some names out there. You got two more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Uh, let's just, let's just say, I would, I would, I would actually l- like to have dinner. If, if I could switch over to two people that are dead, I would really like to have dinner with Noah, and I would really like to have dinner, actually, with um, his son Shem. I would find that to be a fascinating encounter.
1: Awesome, man. Cool. Um, so, yeah, if you will uh, close us out in prayer. Um, and we can talk about how well I mean we can go there now. Um tell us uh where to get your book and how to get in touch with you and bride uh, bride ministries and then you can close us out in prayer.
0: Yep. So um you can get in touch with bride ministries by visiting bridemovement.com. We have a robust platform at this stage. Uh, We are planting a local church here in Katy. We have an internet church that meets every Sunday. Uh, We have a podcast with years of content, Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. We have a robust selection of prayer resources. We have a first-of-its-kind deliverance portal um, that uh, goes into deep areas of bondage most people don't know exist, uh, and we have assessments that we built to map your problems to the prayer resources so anyone anywhere in the world at any time can get free of everything from evil councils and alien groups to illuminati bloodlines um, with the help of that the deliverance portal and uh, that's at deliverance.bridemovement.com uh, we have uh, a whole company of coaches, with training selected coaches that we have trained and, re- and released um, that know how to minister inner healing, know how to deal with dissociation, know how to do high level deliverance um, and, and work with parts, do deprogramming work. Um, we are aiming to become one of the, if not the largest ministry outreach to survivors of satanic rituals and government-sponsored mind control projects in the North American continent. And we're well on our way. So um, we have a training program. It's a year-long thing called the DID Coach Mentorship Program. Um, every year, I take a selection of people and I train them to do what I do. And um, in addition to that, we, we have some other stuff. So just check out the platform, uh, bridemovement.com. We have an app. Uh, and the books, you know, higher dimensions, parallel dimensions, and the spirit realm. We have a number of other books. I recommend my prayer books highly. You can find them on the website, also, other book retailers. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. I just bless the hearers of this program. Lord God, I pray that if nothing else, this program challenges them to go to deeper places in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I thank you that we can be empowered by your word. Lord God, that we can step into our office and identity as sons and daughters of the most high God in ways that make the kingdom of darkness panic. I thank you, Lord God, that you restore hope and faith and love and peace and joy to those uh, through the listening of this podcast and sharing of your word. I thank you, Lord God, that you establish fruit that remains. Father God, Uh, We just bless the name of Jesus. Thank you for your character and faithfulness. Amen.
1: Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it.
0: Thank you, sir. It's been fun.
1: All right, man. We'll see you. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Email me at theweirdchristianpodcast at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, make sure to share, like, subscribe, leave us a rating and review. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.